Hello and welcome back to Crypto Sapiens. I am your host, Hamti Calderon. And today we are talking to Evan, co-founder and CEO of Disco. We start our conversation by looking back at young Evan, giving a presentation to your parents about the fair use statute and why the use of platforms like Napster and LimeWire constituted educational and non-commercial use cases. Her fascination with data freedoms, creative commons, MIT licenses, continued in her undergraduate studies, where she worked with professors and fell deeper into the rabbit hole of identities across different digital platforms. Evan has tons of experience in the Web3 space, including almost five years with Consensus, where she worked on Ethereum ecosystem projects, and as she says, where she solidified ideas and philosophies about identities as they can exist in Web3. Evan isn't just bright, but she's able to take very complex subjects and make them fun and accessible. This conversation is no different. We talk about surveillance capitalism, self-sovereign identities, self-custody of all of our traits beyond financial data, and the selective disclosure of this information. There is lots to unpack here, so let's get started. Well, GM, GM, Crypto Sapiens, and thank you so much, Humpty, for having me here today. It is an honor and a privilege. I am a longtime listener, um, a first-time official caller in this new form, um, and so really stoked to talk about all of the magic that we can enable beyond the chain with our keys today. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, you talk about some things like the ownership of identity. You talk about things in terms of like, you know, from the from maybe the current way that we define Web3 identity and the way that we could start looking at identity using DIDs, right, and VCs. So before we get too deep into that, because we definitely will, I just want to get an understanding of who is Evan? Like, what really kind of drove some of the things that you're passionate about? Because for anyone, and I don't know who would not have heard of you, but for anyone who hasn't, you know, you really have a lot of interests. I know you're a member of InkDAO, you're a member of Boys Club, um, you're obviously the founder, co-founder of Disco, but really, like, what is it that, like, made you who you are? Like, what was that inspiration? Were you, like, hacking when you were a child? Like, what is it that, like, really makes you up? I'm just curious. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, very few people in the in the crypto industry know this about me, but I grew up on a little farm in Ohio, and um, I first started thinking about data ownership when I was a kid. Um, when I was in school, that was around when peer to peer file sharing first popped off, and my father's an intellectual property attorney. And so, in order to explore tools like Napster and LimeWare and BearShare, I had to make a presentation to my parents about the fair use statute and why my proposed usage of these tools, these file sharing tools, constituted an educational, non-commercial uh, use case. Um, 
So a few years later, when I uh, when I was an undergrad, um, I continued to be fascinated by the legal wrappers that we could use to make data more free. So beyond the fair use statute, learning about things like Creative Commons licenses um, and MIT licenses to extend the uh, shareability and composability of our ideas. Um, I had the absolute best professor in the universe of all time, uh, a woman named Elizabeth Stark, who introduced me to the free and open source software community, um, to entrepreneurship, and perhaps most crucially, the idea of censorship-resistant networks. Um, so when I was in school, it was around that time as well that the Arab Spring was happening. And I remember that, I believe it was the Tunisian government, all but turned off access to the internet. And we saw peer-to-peer technologies emerging in different ways, messaging apps like FireChat that could use Bluetooth to pass signals from one device to another, hopping from phone to phone to approximate a mesh network when no larger network was available. And so the idea that human resilience and human coordination can supersede even authoritarian states and the downfall of nations, um, that was a really inspiring idea for me. Uh, It was around the same time that I was doing my undergraduate thesis work um, and exploring the expression of identity across different digital platforms and persistent environments. So understanding how we show up differently on Twitter, on Facebook, on Chat Roulette, even in World of Warcraft. Um, so I spent a lot of time thinking about the selective disclosure that we do as humans, deciding what parts of ourselves to share where. And it was around that time that I really started to understand the fact that there's an entire internet uh, sort of data market happening about us without us. And so um, my career wound through a variety of human-centered design practices um, from working on uh, more entertainment content, things like music videos and commercials, um, to helping to uh, launch IBM Watson um, and secure funding for uh, CERN and the Large Hadron Collider. So I care you know, very deeply about how we can effectively communicate highly technical messages in a way that everyone can understand. Um, I spent a few years working on human-computer interaction through connected devices, so early connected devices like you know, home hardware like toothbrushes and mirrors, um, as well as uh, working on early autonomous vehicle experience design. Um, I also spent a little time working with another one of my beloved professors at Berkshire Hathaway uh, before I spent a little under five years at Consensus working on Ethereum ecosystem development um, and really where I solidified a lot of the ideas that I have and philosophies that I hold about identity as it can exist in Web3. Um, but to sort of back up, what really captured my imagination about the self-sovereign future, about a connected um, world where we could live and show up in any digital or physical environment and receive a personalized experience, all of that comes from when I first fell in love with Bitcoin because it allowed us to generate identities that could interact with others and prove things without having to ask for anybody's permission. And so before I knew the term Web3 or you know, could even envision this, uh, the incredible landscape in which we work now, it was that first instance of a censorship-resistant network with autonomous key pairs um, in a manner that was more uh, that, that offered an alternative settlement layer to the carceral state. Like that was pretty wild for me. I mean, I think it's fair to say you have a very rich background in terms of understanding the technology, both this peer-to-peer technology self-sovereign technology, Um, you seem to have very strong values that are driven from your personal philosophies, like you said, about identity. So I think one of the things that I'd be curious to learn about you, or at least from your personal experience, 
You've talked about things like Napster. So for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's a P2P sharing platform, most uh, often used for sharing music, right? Uh, LimeWire may be different um, file types. But uh, again, I think music kind of drove that. Um, tell me a little bit about like some of the identities and the way that we interact with the, interacted with those identities back then through these peer-to-peer networks and identities maybe up to these social networks. Like, what has the evolution of identities looked like uh, in those, I don't know, 15, 20 years? So in the past decade plus, you know, give or take, we have moved from the idea of a siloed identity that is bound to a single space, a single application, a single platform, to identities that are able to carry information and interact across platforms and different environments, that are able to share richer and you know ever more complex sets of data with one another, um, and then you know we're at this moment where we can have self-sovereign, self-custodied identi- financial identities, and we can bring the assets under owned under those keys under those identities from one application to another, from one chain ecosystem to another, from web two to web three. To physical spaces and back. And so I see the evolution of identity as one that began in silos as, you know, the sort of basic infrastructure of applications were built. But then we created this strange ad hoc solution where applications would buy and sell our data rather than make it portable and have us as individuals be the physical transport layer for that information from one place to another. And so the asymmetry of our access to our own data versus the data that's relatively available about us for applications to use um, has turned largely into an economy of surveillance capitalism where uh, you know Instagram messes with how close you think you are to your friends to get you to buy more stuff. Um, and so we have an opportunity in Web3 to imagine self-custody beyond financial data, to explore self-ownership as it pertains to all of our traits, all of the information that might, we might want to carry with us and inform an interaction. Um, and so up until now, we've really only been able to own tokens, public financial data, um, or data that you know, that requires that kind of on, on-chain publication. But for data that needs to change and evolve like we do because we're human beings, um, we need a primitive that can express that accordingly um, and can go with us from one application to another, from Web 2 to Web 3, because you are the same Humpty who shows up to this podcast, who shows up to Uniswap to swap tokens, who hangs out with the Orange Protocol team and, you know, interprets data in, in those frameworks. Um, but you're just showing up with different facets of yourself, reflecting different parts of your disco ball, if you will. I love that, by the way. The one thing, uh, well, not the one thing, but one of the many things that I love about uh, the work that you do, and disco in particular, is the ability to capture, Like, I don't want to call it a meme, because that's just wrong, but it captures a story, right? And it's able to share that story, again, in fun ways. And I know you're a proponent of like fun Right. I think one of the things that you say is like, you know, why are you getting a party if nobody wants to come to it? Or I think that's one of the things you talk about. But I really appreciate the ability of you and your team to be able to construct these fun stories that we can associate with, you know, and relate to and say, oh, absolutely. Because to your point, like you said, I am the same person, but I definitely reflect 
different parts of my personality to different you know, groups of friends that I have, different associations and organizations that I'm a part of. Uh, so I really like the idea of being able to share that in a very fun and easy to understand way. So before I, before, uh, or, or to continue that thought, you talked about two different things here. You talked about identities and how they've evolved from, you know, really this place where, you know, it, it was siloed to maybe a point where we're able to uh, aggregate or bring together assets, right, financialized, um, you know, parts of our identity to something else. You know, the ownership of not just those assets, but the ownership of our identity and vis-a-vis our data as well. Uh, tell me a little bit about the importance of that. And I think for me, I fully understand it. But for anybody just trying to understand why we should be, um, you know, aware of and, 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 and advocating for ownership of our ident- identity and data, why is that important? So in the United States, Americans spend 11 and a half billion hours a year filling out forms. If you've ever been to a crypto conference week, you probably can also relate to the fact that you've spent a lot of time typing answers into Partyful and Eventbrite and filling up for filling out you know various different onboarding forms to participate in beta tests or attend events, etc. Um, and so, when we think about all of these instances where we are manually re-entering basic information about ourselves, that adds to, up to a lot of friction in onboarding. So, the vision of the personalized future that we imagine at Disco starts with never filling out a form again, being able to set preferences and define information about ourselves so that we can enjoy autofill for everything, from the temperature of a ride share that you sit in and the music that's playing, to your preferences around viewing things in light mode or dark mode, um, to your proof that you have passed KYC and sanctions compliance, and so you should be permitted to deposit in a permissioned DeFi pool. So, you know, at Disco, um, we are called Disco because we believe that you are the multifaceted center of the party, and you should reflect your data and your identity to the world however you decide. So the more facets you add to your disco ball, the more of those mirrors that are able to reflect data about you, the more nuanced and uh, complex and um, you know data-filled, data-rich you can make your expression of self. Um, but the fewer pieces of information that you have, and there are the fewer ways to reflect yourself, it doesn't mean that you don't have an identity. It just means that it provides a pretty fuzzy set of uh, capabilities um, to a to be able to reflect your information. So the more facets on the disco ball, the more data in your data backpack, the more granular of a picture of yourself you're going to be able to control and reflect to the world. So for those of us who are Web3 native, if you will, crypto native, and we are members of a DAO, for instance, right? We're not just token holders, but we're actually interacting with the community. We're building together. Uh, We may share and control assets together what is the value in identity and data ownership when it comes to being a member of an organization, being a contributor to an organization, probably better said? So right now in the DAO space, the most sophisticated capabilities that we have are being group chats with bank accounts, and centralized group chats with decentralized bank accounts, and um, having plutocratic token-weighted voting. Uh, and so these are, you know, fantastic primitive governance structures. But in order to ensure that decisions are led by the most expert and the most dedicated, the most participatory, the most informed, as opposed to merely the wealthiest, 
we need more data than what is simply available on chain. So in order to coordinate around more interesting problems than pooling and spending capital in accordance with token holdings, instead we can pool and spend that capital in accordance with what we think is the best way forward as guided by our community's experts. So one way to accrue that reputation that we can use to weight our voting and to inform and reward and recognize people's non-financial contributions is to encompass them in credentials to allow users to take custody of proofs of a job well done for non-financial actions, whether that's writing a newsletter, completing an educational course, participating in or even leading a Discord stage or hosting a podcast just like this. Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. And I think one of the things to consider when we think about data, and I think the point you were making and, and did an incredible job at uh, expressing that or defining that is, it is it is multifaceted. You know, it, it it isn't just maybe the way that we consider data in the traditional sense, but it's our activities, that reputation, if you will, right? The aggregated experiences across the entire uh, Web3 ecosystem, uh, whether I'm a member of one DAO or I'm a member of many DAOs, um, I think there's an opportunity or there's value uh, in being able to uh, share that information in ways that are consensual, right? Um, and so maybe... Talk a little bit about how we share this information, because I think we can imagine how we can create this information, but how do we share this information and how, to dis, how does DISCO allow for us to present that part of ourselves? So in order to carry you know, a piece of data around with us and to present it to different applications, that means it needs to be under our ownership and control. So rather than regular data that we throw off inside of an app that's then consumed by that app out of sight, out of mind from our experience, rather we're able to receive credentials and to then connect our wallets to other applications as we would normally. And if we've chosen to mark those, uh, to decrypt those credentials, to mark them as public for that app to interact with, then they can ping the Disco API, pull in the credentials that we've brought for them, you know, today for that particular experience. And then those credentials, once um, validated, are able to inform an in-app or on-chain or even in-person experience. And so we care very deeply about um, going down the road of selective disclosure. We believe that your data should be shared on a need-to-know basis. And otherwise, it's an overshare um, because your data has such incredible value to you in aggregate. You are the world's expert on yourself. And so we think that you are going to be able to curate the best data about yourself, the most uh, sort of up-to-date, relevant, and useful to you. And so ensuring that you have optimal control over how that data is shared is super important. So we're really excited about some things on our roadmap this year that include the exploration of zero-knowledge proofs and predicate disclosure, the ability to selectively disclose given fields within a credential, and to have really granular control about how that interaction is managed. You used a word here that I'm going to assume most people don't know what it means. Can you define briefly zero-knowledge proofs and how do those interact with uh, your self-sovereign identity and these credentials? For sure. So if we imagine that, you know, we, the crypto sapiens, are running through the Web3 landscape carrying our tokens in our wallets and data about ourselves in our data backpacks, carrying them from one app experience to another, um, when we think about a zero-knowledge proof, this will allow us to share general information about ourselves to determine whether we fit the requirements to enter someone's party, to enter their app, to receive 
privileges in their on-chain interaction, um, but we're not revealing the plain text contents of what that data is. So um, to borrow an example from our beloved Harvard professor, Larry Lessig, that he has been talking about since the late 1990s, you can imagine that today when you go to a bar uh, in the United States, you've got to present a driver's license or similar ID to prove that you are of age to enter the establishment. But in handing that credential over to the bouncer, you're also telling them how tall you are, how much you weigh, your eye color, what street you live on, way more information than is required for them to discern whether or not your data fits their requirements. So instead, in the future, you might imagine that a zero-knowledge proof could enable us to share uh, our identity data for that establishment to receive a thumbs up. Yes, Humpty is of age or is uh, appropriately qualified to enter this establishment, and then we proceed on through. So we're able to determine that, yes, indeed, this, this party fits the requirements of our uh, of our accessibility, but we aren't asking what exactly is their data. So sort of in conclusion, zero knowledge proofs allow us to change the question for apps from what is your data to does your data fit my requirements? Yeah, I like that last piece too, um, in terms of does Humpty fit that requirement to be eligible to enter um, this establishment, whether that establishment be a, you know, a real physical space or a, a virtual space. I think um, there's an opportunity to be able to share that information, uh, you know, in, 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 in selectively, as you, as you mentioned before. Um, so what are some of the things that I could do with Disco now? I know, I think you've mentioned you're in currently in a private beta um, and you're collabing with projects like Boys Club. What are some of the things that you've been able to uh, develop so far for people to experience? I'm on the app right now, but I'd love to hear it from you um, in terms of the interactability to the application itself, but also to other uh, projects like potentially Boys Club as well. Yeah, absolutely. So for communities like Boys Club, um, we are, are helping them issue credentials of membership in good standing. So these membership credentials um, allow their uh, members of, of their squad to take custody of these self-sovereign assets that prove that they are members of Boys Club. These credentials can then be used to access chat channels on Telegram and Discord, to access collaboration tools like um, you know Google Docs, to access GitHub repositories limited only for those members of Boys Club, and in a few days, um, Alpha Leak here, um, we're excited to introduce um, our integration with Shopify. So um, users of the Disco platform are going to be able to bring their Disco Not credential to the Disco merch store, uh, and then we'll be able to access awesome merch like the Big Did Energy hat that I'm wearing right now. Um, so certainly, you know, if your users are interested in playing around on this platform, please ping me a DM uh, at Proven Authority on Twitter. Um, but in addition, we are also really excited to allow um, folks to use their credentials in a variety of different fun ways. Um, so as a Disco user, you can issue credentials to yourself that define your preferences. So these are things like your t-shirt size, preferred pronouns, your preference for light or dark mode, um, and, uh, and additionally, we also have peer-to-peer -peer credentials that you can write to others. So we've got GM credentials. These are like Facebook-style pokes that just allow you to greet other users and practice getting accustomed to the UX of issuing and receiving credentials. Um, and we also have snaps. Snaps are accolades given by one teammate to another, one community member to another, to recognize their unique contributions and awesomeness. Um, so there are a few different kinds of snaps, so you've got to choose from a, kind of a multiple-choice menu. Um, but we're illustrating here the way that we can have multiple 
multiple fields um, in credentials. Uh, in the coming days, we're excited to um, to roll out some more uh, more fun stuff, um, including Zodiac credentials. So you'll be able to get your Web three horoscope um, that'll enable things like Web three tarot card readings. Um, so you know, we talked a little earlier about the importance of fun in our use cases, um, and we can't have a lot of fun together if the only thing I know about you is how much money you have. If I know that you and I have shared money, but if I know that you um, you know enjoy the same kind of music, you know that I attend similar events. I know that you are also a Pisces. You know, we've got all kinds of uh, of fun elements of commonality. And I think with Web three, it's really important for us to nurture a spirit of experimentation. If we are building on the edge and we are not doing so joyfully, what are we even doing here? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, one of the, one of the things I've noticed uh, on your app as well is there is this reputation as currency. You have uh, a shop if you will, uh, where you can browse some of the limited edition merch, which um, I didn't. I think I said it before we started recording, but I'm pretty proud to be holding a V1, I think, of the hat. Um, I rock this a lot. Uh, definitely one of my favorite hats in, in terms of fit and style and definitely supporting the narrative of you know uh, ownership of our identities and data and so on, which um, I definitely agree with as well. Um, I may have done a little digging and found that there might be a uh, collaboration coming up with a new marketplace. Um, I'll let you share that if you'd like. If not, um, you know, I can definitely tweet it afterwards. But it seems to do with a uh, merch shop and an uh, artist uh, and maybe one of the DAOs that we just described. It's like a three-way collaboration. Oh my gosh. Well, we've got a whole lot of really exciting collaborations coming down the pike. Um, we've got a, certainly a few that touch in the art space, a few that are in the e-commerce space. Um, for now, I think the relevant detail for us to, to cover is the fact that um, you know we're enabling communities, organizations, individuals, and creators to have credential-gated merch stores on Shopify. So in the same way that a creator might be able to sell items that require you to first own an NFT in order to buy buy or access discounts, we're now able to do achieve the same thing using verifiable credentials on Shopify. Um, and so what we envision with this kind of integration um, is basically the end of onboarding. So imagine joining a new community, receiving your membership credential, immediately being able to access collaboration tools, the onboarding documentation, video content, booking time with a team member, joining a community call, receiving your first bundle of merch, and getting set up with your collaboration tasks and tools. Um, and so just using a single, simple JSON blob stored off-chain with no marginal cost to create um, and stored in a form that's going to be legible to more than 150 different kinds of keys. Um, so we think that you know, for the more we're able to um, make data ready for use in multiple environments, the more time and friction we can save for our users and the more risk we can manage for our application partners as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm going to uh, right now make a request that we make a shirt that says simple JSON blob because I would rock that. I, <laughs> I like the idea of that. Um, and Immediately, yes, you got it, Humpty. Oh, and one other thing that we're excited to be rolling out with some partners that we should talk to you about um, are podcast guest credentials. So being able to receive proofs that you were a participant in a conversation on a podcast such as this. So um, you say the word and we will get those Crypto Sapiens credentials flowing. Let's go. I 100% would love to participate in that. Um, to, to be honest with you, that's something that uh, me and my team have been uh, considering in terms of how we can reward 
participants, how we can reward listeners so that there is some proof of, you know, part, uh, just the activity, whether you're, you know, a, a guest here uh, and sharing your knowledge with our audience or you're uh, consuming this information and learning from it. Right. Hopefully uh, you take away uh, from this podcast uh, things that are useful to you, things that inspire you if you are just barely coming in and want to learn more about how you can contribute or just generally um, serve as just another reason why you choose to be here and just be a part of this wonderful community. So, yeah, let just let me know where to sign up and uh, I'm there. Fantastic. Well, it looks like we've got some scheming to do. And to the point about your community, I think it's really important that we recognize all the forms of interaction that we have, not just listening to a podcast, although that certainly that's critical, um, but all of the forms of interaction participation that we have. And so being able to allow members of the Crypto Sapiens community to collect proofs of their participation um, across different in- kinds of interactions, I think not only will provide y'all a much uh, more granular picture of who's hanging out in your squad, um, but help to you know nurture their discovery of one another. Help to them to you know bring the Crypto Sapiens banner as part of their self expression when they you know go out into the world. Um, being able to share that affinity of the fact that they're part of this community. Um, and so there's no action too big or small to think about you know documenting and, and rewarding. Um, and so we're really excited to explore all of the different ways that we can support communities to uh, see and perceive one another um, and to recognize all of the many contributions that all of us can make beyond just our financial ones. Ah, I love that. So one thing you said uh, maybe a few minutes ago, and I think it ties together nicely with this idea of like the merch drop and you know some of the other integrations you're doing in that space. You talked about some of the ways that social media, like maybe potentially Instagram, um, uses our data to be able to encourage us to buy more, right? Uh, it's a very limited experience in terms of like, A, our connection to our friends in these social spaces, but B, also in the ability to collect um, potentially something that we find uh, fun and interesting together. Describe to me as we look at it from the lens of uh, friendship, culture, maybe even, and collect and collectability, uh, whether, you know, whether that is something you buy or not, but in terms of this idea of bringing together people through collections and shared culture from the Web2 kind of perspective to now using these credentials, the Web3. So in Web3, when we take custody of our own keys and we become atomic self-sovereign units, We create a discoverability problem by pushing everything to the edges. How do we find one another? How do we sort out not only the people who are relevant for us to connect with, um, but who, you know, we would like to engage with based on shared interests, shared experiences, even shared physical spaces? So I like to say that verifiable credentials are culture. They are units of culture. Um, Culture cannot be defined by financial assets alone. It is the actions of human beings around those assets, the non-financial interactions they have with one another that produces community and culture. So for Web3 to truly thrive as the the new forefront of of our world, it necessarily must contain culture in addition to finance. 
This means that our keys need the ability to own and control data about us that comprises culture. Affinities and experiences that are shared create shared identity. And it is through the representation of shared identity that we might find one another. So whether it's identifying new groups of people on social platforms, whether it's sorting out the best DAO for you to join, finding a new job, identifying a co-founder, or even finding a date, um, all of these discoverability challenges can be solved or um, we can address them with much greater assurances if we have more data. But in order to avoid the surveillance state in which we found ourselves, where the you know um, purchase and sale of sometimes inaccurate data about us is um, the best that we can we can hope for, um, instead I think there's an opportunity to invert the way that we think about the internet. When we think about the server side data storage world that lives to, that that exists today, where the data we create inside of apps stays inside those apps, stays on their servers. Um, you know, we as individuals don't have a lot of ability to benefit from it, and so it's a latent asset sitting, you know, on the real estate of the company whose app we're using. And so, of course, they're going to monetize it. Of course, they're going to find ways for it to generate value inside of the existing ecosystem where they are today. But laws like GDPR and CCPA that demand the portability of data, that demand the sovereignty and right to be forgotten uh, for you know, some citizens, um, that puts a lot of pressure on the traditional um, data storage and sort of data management approach of many applications. Those applications that we're used to, you know, that we use every day, were built as one-way shoots of data. They weren't constructed for the easy removal of data, for the easy way to determine how it's being used. Um, and so the less data that applications store, the fewer copies of it, you know, are, are hanging out in duplicate out in the universe, the less security costs they might have to bear, the fewer hacks they might be concerned about, the less insurance they're going to have to worry about. Um, and so being able to enjoy a rich set of data um, about yourself, uh, to bring that to the front door of an application, for it to rely upon that data and give you a personalized experience like you would enjoy today, but without all those added security challenges and costs and risks, both to you and the enterprise, um, this seems like a pretty interesting new way of interaction. I, I mean, aside from obviously agreeing with you, um, I think that this is just such an interesting way of framing, you know, not just the challenges, but also the opportunity here with what we're building, right? Um, and these credentialing systems, especially when we consider some of the more novel approaches to Web3 technology, and in my, my opinion, decentralized social. When we start looking at the work that's being done over at Lens Protocol, Farcaster, uh, I believe Deso as well, though I don't have a lot of experience with them, but definitely with the first two, it's interesting to consider how this idea of presenting ourselves in ways that are you know, self-sovereign, you know, uh, basically we have the agency of choosing how we choose to present ourselves into these uh, communities and into these spaces. That just to me really kind of is one of the main inspirations for building in this space is because there's a lot of opportunity for thinking differently from what we did in Web2 Social, right? With like companies like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, you know, while they work for what they are, they certainly, you know, are you know uh, guilty for a lot of the things that we just described in terms of the data that is is consumed and and then shared in whatever ways are 
um, done for to that is valuable to them. Think, have you considered you know Web three social and you know kind of the um, space that credential systems and reputation will occupy? Um, you know, you can talk about one or all the apps uh, if you want. Only every day, Humpty. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, in in our in how we contemplate culture in Web three, um, you know, we need to have applications where we express culture, where we experience culture. And so, we're so fortunate that protocol teams like Lens and Farcaster have put effort into creating the underlying rails for social discoverability and social interaction. Um, you know, for for sort of one of the the earliest explorations in this space, I got applaud the Lens Protocol team for the incredible work that they've done to bring creators into this new paradigm and to see the community of active builders and applications, um, where I think there's a really exciting opportunity space and where we're really excited to be scheming with them, um, is uh, is thinking about how we can complement on-chain data with off-chain data that is of similar assurance, but is more, um, can be shared with more sort of flexibility in terms of public and privacy, um, and can also have a little more flexibility in terms of being revocable or set to expire, um, and so you know, one fun example that uh, that um, I like to throw about throw out about why you know maybe we shouldn't put everything everything on chain for Web three social is that if you can imagine a Web three Tinder or a dating app, you wouldn't necessarily want all your right swipes to be encompassed as NFTs on chain, time stamped for the whole world to see for generations to come. Um, and so for data that doesn't require global public availability in perpetuity, uh, for which that you know level of sharing is not optimal or not, you know, in demand, um, we can encompass data that's verifiable, that can interact with applications and smart contracts, um, but, you know, in this verifiable credential form is not going to default to public. Um, so when I think about sort of the Web3 social landscape, I think we have an opportunity to revisit the paradigm of how it is that we find one another, uh, to revisit the concept of a content creator. No longer should individuals be bound to a single platform really TikToks or YouTube videos or Instagram posts or whatever, um, and having that platform own and control their network of partners or subscribers or followers. And so self-sovereign identity, ownership of one's handles and ability to move you know, from one space to another is inherently wrapped up in the idea of owning your community, owning your audience, owning a social graph that you can carry with you from one app interface to another and auto-populate the people that you would like to interact with and to be able to choose where and when you surface those kinds of connections. Um, and so Web3 Social for me is really about you know, integrating a greater degree of choice and portability to our social experiences and inviting applications to compete not on data hoarding, but on the excellence of experience that can deliver. Yeah, that's, that's, that's huge uh, in terms of creating better user experiences. I mean, that goes for, you know, the Web3 native experience, but also for just general, uh, you know, application experiences that choose to bridge these Web3 identities. Um, and completely agree that I think that data, um, at least in my opinion, will not be in the future the way that projects or, or platforms compete with one another. Um, I, so let's talk about one of the most recent updates that I saw, at least, uh, being tweeted about. And that is uh, the, not integration, but the collaboration between Disco and District Labs, I believe it's called. Walk me through yes. yeah, Walk me through that collaboration. Like, what is it and why have you chosen to take on that collaboration? 
So we are super excited to be working with some of our favorite people in the Web3 ecosystem to think about what it means to have credential or reputation unlocked capabilities on a blockchain. So in the same way that we can use tokens to gate access to smart contracts, you can you know, have an NFT mint that requires you to own another mint pass first before you're able to mint from that collection. Um, you know, For example, how might we control that on-chain logic using credentials instead of tokens, or perhaps even in addition to tokens. So, you know, many, many moons ago, many years ago in the identity space in the Ethereum ecosystem, um, the original proposal for how we might have credential or reputation gated on-chain logic um, was described in uh, Ethereum Improvement Proposal 1812, which stipulated that we might take an entire credential, the whole JSON blob, and present the whole thing to a smart contract on-chain. Um, so that was not a super great idea, because at the time, um, you know, the network is pretty expensive, still is, depending on where you are and where you are in this market and how your bags are doing. But passing a huge JSON blob to a smart contract on Ethereum Layer 1 was going to be quite costly. Um, it was going to be slow, and additionally, it was going to expose the contents of that whole credential. And so publicizing it on-chain kind of defeats the purpose of keeping it off-chain to begin with, because you lose revocability, you default to publicity. Um, so there's just generally not, a, not a, an optimal solution for the kinds of on-chain interactions that many people wanted to control access for using these credentials. So um, thanks to some um, fantastic updates from the MetaMask team and some effort from the district team, um, we now have the ability to generate a signature at the app layer, affirming that Humpty indeed is the subject of the credential he's presenting, that he is the party that that credential is written about, that the smart contract's looking for. He's able to pass that signature, a very tiny little piece of data that can't really you know, leak any concerning information, pass that signature to the smart contract. The smart contract reads it basically as a thumbs up. Yes, Humpty is good to go. Allow him to interact with this smart contract. And the particular example that we have up on ethel one and um, uh, Polygon right now is your ability to use your Disco Not credential from onboarding with your data backpack, present that to the smart contract, and then being able to mint an NFT of a Disco-fied object. Um, so want to shout out to our a AI tools out there helping us create these images. Um, but what was really fun about this collaboration is that it demonstrated our ability to use a regular verifiable credential that we already use for access control to Web2 collaboration tools, chat channels, um, and physical spaces. We can now use that very same credential for gated access to on-chain logic. So you can imagine that in the not-too-distant future, we can enjoy things like permissioned DeFi pools, where you first have to you know, present a KYC or similar credential in order to be able to deposit. Or having you know, pools that are available only to holders of certain tokens who've attended a certain number of Twitter spaces, or whatever the combinations or permutations of on- and off-chain logic might be. Um, but being able to use credentials for access control to on-chain logic in a privacy-preserving manner is a pretty rad development in Web3 in general, but certainly a great achievement for our team. On that, I'm very excited for you and the Disco Labs, uh, Disco, Disco and District Labs teams as well. Um, you mentioned AI, and I, I don't think you can go 10 minutes on Twitter or maybe any other social app these days and not hear people talking about AI. Briefly, what are your thoughts about AI? What are the opportunities for, you know, integrating some elements of it on to, you know, maybe blockchain applications or maybe even to some of our processes as uh, developers? 
Well, I, for one, am an enthusiastic user of ChatGPT, and I definitely encourage everybody to use it to augment your search capabilities when you have new questions, whether it's annotating documentation that you're putting together, um, you know, uh, even even citing ideas for tweet threads. Um, so I think it's a really exciting time for us as builders to find new forms of efficiency with these sorts of tools. Um, I, for one, am very excited about being able to bring my data backpack to an AI-enabled recommendation engine where I can ask not only where should I go to dinner tonight, but where should I go to dinner tonight that's going to fit in my schedule, that's going to be, you know, close to where I am, that's going to have foods that accommodate my allergies, and that I'm going to, you know, where I'm going to like the vibe. Um, and so, uh, in addition to saying that verifiable credentials are culture, I also like to say that verifiable credentials are vibes. They describe our preferences and our traits, the qualities we can't encompass with just our financial data alone that give nuance to our experiences. I love that. So I think I saw you tweet something to that effect. Um, is that something that Disco is considering adding into its you know, uh, application at some point? Oh, immediately, yes. And sorry, there's an I think an airplane flying over, so it's a little little noisy over here. Um, but yes, we are absolutely so excited to think about you know how data that users present, um, data backpack owners present to their experiences can can be in, can inform the personalization that we receive. Um, so you know one of the fun things that we're starting to think about um, is you know if I've got a zodiac credential where I've attested to my Zodiac sign, how might I receive some Web3 horoscopes that, um, that are informed by my on-chain assets? Now, that's just sort of a fun, a fun tangible example. Um, but in more seriousness, for recommendations from everything from you know, companies or DAOs that you might want to work with based on your past achievements and accolades, roles that you might be qualified for based on your educational experiences and prior contributions, or even content and services that you might enjoy based based on the preferences that you've set. And so this sort of idea of like autofill for everything to curate the experiences that you're looking for um, is inherently enabled by all of these technologies. Well, I mean, I think we definitely covered a lot of ground here. Um, Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you think we should definitely include here in this conversation? So one thing that I really love talking about that I think is worth reminding all of your listeners is that progressive decentralization and onboarding users, you know, from the point where they sit on their couch today to, you know, the level of comfort and confidence that we all might have with our technical tools, that that sense of welcoming and that user centricity in our design, I think, is what will allow us to welcome the next millions, billions of users. So we can have, you know, all the beautiful scalable infrastructure that we want, but without applications that are relevant to human experiences, without data that describes culture and encompasses vibes, we're not going to be able to do much more than be group chats with bank accounts until then. And so one thing that's really exciting about off-chain data is that we don't have to fund our wallets to take custody of digital assets that can do stuff for us, to own and control ourselves more than just our financial expression, and to be able to assert that curation of self in a variety of different environments. And so I think first we can teach folks to use their keys and manage these kinds of interactions using lower consequence non-financial data. And then we can build up to enjoying tokens and being NFT degenerates. And then we bring it all together with data from on and off-chain sources, you know, with settlement layers both on and off-chain. And then, my friend, we are living in the metaverse. I love it. 
Um, and thank you so much for, you know, kind of sharing that information in ways that are super easy to understand. The last question that I ask all of my guests here, uh, and it's the same for at least the last, gosh, like maybe 15 episodes, is who or what has been the most influential to you in your crypto journey? It could be a book you read. It could be a blog. It could be a person. Who or what is that? So... um this sort of this is a little later onset experience in my crypto journey, but has certainly been one of the most pivotal and um, you know moving and valuable to me. So um, a couple years ago now, I guess at this point, I had the good fortune to meet some amazing women, Dina Burke and Natasha Natasha Hoskins, who were thinking about how we could make the Web three welcome mat mat bigger and more welcoming to everybody. How might we reflect the fact that blockchains are feminist protocols and create a welcoming space for people who identify as female and non-binary? And so I, um, you know, worked uh, sort of in, in the shadows to support them as they got Boys Club up and running. And now Boys Club is a global community of women and non-binary people in Web three um, that you know is a vibrant ecosystem uh, around the world of folks from you know girls who are in school to um, you know women who are successful founders and everybody in between. Um, and so it's been especially rewarding for me to be able to contribute to, th to this community and to be part of it, realizing that, you know, they, they're exemplars of what I just described, of creating a space that is going to be welcoming for all levels of technical familiarity and help inspire confidence in users of, you know, of all um, experiences and all walks of life. Uh, so I definitely want to encourage any users who might identify as female or non-binary um, or have, you know, loved ones who, who might um, to visit Boys Club club.vip and come hang with the boys, whether that's in the Discord channel, at live events, listening to their podcast. Um, but I think one really exciting aspect of um, you know, bringing identity and culture to Web3 is that, that you know, we can make those spaces explicitly welcoming to everyone. And that's a wrap. To learn more about Evan and Disco, you can find them on Twitter at Proven Authority and Disco XYZ. And as usual, please don't forget to like and subscribe and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to listen to more conversations like this one, go to our website at www.cryptosapiens.xyz. Until next time, stay brainy.